do you want to win the Super Bowl? Uh, the Chiefs. The Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. It's not even a question of who I like. It's a question of reality. Interesting. Yeah. But do you hate Tom Brady? Is that why? I don't like Tom Brady. I don't like... Um, but I, Yeah, I don't like Tom Brady. I never have. But beyond that, I think um, the Chiefs are just unbeatable. And I don't think Brady alone can stop them. Mahomes is awesome. Um, they're not going to get to him. He'd be able to run them ragged. Well, let's see how this clip ages between now and yeah. a couple hours. Yeah. <laughs> I see skies of blue and clouds of white. The bright, blessed day, the dark, sacred night. The, the feedback we've gotten on the last couple episodes is people want more Norm. So here you have it, folks. Just me and Norm today. I can't imagine they would want more Norm, but <clears throat> I guess they consider me more normal. I don't know what it is, to be honest with you, Dad. I think maybe it's your radio voice. I'm not sure, but it definitely seems to be the uh, unanimous piece of feedback. Well... <clears throat> you know, my radio voice is more like a mafia guy, I think. Is that what you're going for? Sopranos guy? No, it just, it's natural. It's normal. Um, it makes it interesting when I talk to juries. I sometimes have to ask them to forgive, forgive my um, rough-around-the-edges comments and appearance and sound, but it's who I am. The California juries are uh, sympathetic to that or no? Uh, some are, some are very much so, and uh, I think when I own it and I fess up to it, like in a closing, I'll say, "Look, if anything I've said, uh, I might have killed the guy, things, Your Honor." But that, but this yeah, isn't about but me. Don't take it, don't don't this take it out of my client. You know, if I'm if I'm abrasive. <laughs> uh, so, I think a lot of people, myself included, are thinking a lot about the stimulus checks that. Uh, Democrats have promised when they when they ran uh, those Senate races in Georgia, they really made a point to say that if you if you elect uh, Warnack and Ossoff, that we would all be getting two thousand dollar checks. It seems like that is going to be a part of this uh, uh, legislation that they're looking to pass through reconciliation, which means they're not going to have they're not necessarily going to have Republican support for this. But the one thing they are yeah. starting, yeah, yeah, there's no re no Republicans, and I think it's it's down to fourteen hundred, as a, if my mind is correct. Yes, I, uh, this is all I think a part of a classic move from Democrats, which is to sort of bend over backwards to means test something, a program that would otherwise be tremendously popular, and sort of figure out how to make it complicated and limit the total number of people that would benefit from it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the, that started with decreasing the amount of the checks from the $2,000 originally promised to saying it would be a $1,400 top-up to make a total of 2000 from the 600 that the Trump administration had already given us. So. Right. That in and of itself is sort of faulty logic, just because uh, I guess you could say by the same token, they only owe us, what, uh, uh, $200, because the first round of stimulus was 1200 and then they did the 600 
So you could say, well, we got this, we got a two thousand dollar check, and all we need is the extra two hundred from Biden to make it to. You know what I mean? Like the logic itself yeah. seems yeah um, faulty. Yeah, I agree. But they did specifically say in various circumstances that if you would get, uh, you know, if you elect these two senators, then you get the two thousand dollar check. When we win both of these Senate races. We will pass $2,000 stimulus checks immediately for the American people. I spoke with the president-elect about that personally yesterday. By electing John and the Reverend, you can make an immediate difference in your own lives, the lives of the people all across this country, because their election will put an end to the block in Washington on that $2,000 stimulus check. That money that will go out the door immediately. Tell people who are in real trouble. Think about what it will mean to your lives. Putting food on the table, paying rent, paying funds to your mortgage, paying down the credit card, paying the phone bill, the gas bill, the electric bill. And if you remember, it did seem to have pretty popular support even among Republicans. President Trump was one of the people most uh, adamantly pushing for this. Um, and a bunch Correct. of other Republicans jumped on and said, yeah, we should do the $2,000 checks uh, after Trump had said he supported it. Right. And they also fell back off of the $15 minimum wage, I think. The latest I've read um, and heard from people in Congress who are part of this whole negotiation process are saying they will do the $15 an hour minimum wage, but that, w that it'll be a, f a phased in program that will take full effect, I think, by 2025. Um, yeah. or something like that. But there's a, there's a question, I guess there's a legal question about whether or not they're able to do that through reconciliation because reconciliation, I guess you're not allowed to um, sort of make like permanent uh, changes to the budget or something like that through reconciliation. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and there's an argument to be made that changing the minimum wage could be doing that. So yet to be seen. But... Uh, I guess in terms of these checks, like what, what do you think about the checks in general? Do you think that we should all get a $2,000 check? Uh, do you think that the checks are unnecessary or the amount is too high? What are your thoughts? Okay, my thoughts are it needs to be a little more complex. Um, they can't just, they shouldn't just give everybody $2,000. The previous I mean, check, yeah. just, to, just so everyone knows, if you made more than $75,000 as an individual per year or as a household, $150,000, then you wouldn't get the full amount in the previous issuing of checks. You would get some, some, some amount that would be phased out over whatever it was, $99,000 or something like that. So if you made between $75,000 and $100,000 a year, you would get some amount, but it wouldn't be the full amount. Go ahead, Doug. Right. Right. And so that's that that that's my uh, that's my take on on the two thousand. I mean, I think those who need it the most should be getting it, obviously. And I think they need to focus uh, on that. Um, I don't know if it should be done by income or what, but that's not a bad thought to do it by income. I mean, that's how. Like, I guess. Do you, did you like the way that they did it in the under the Trump administration, where 
you know, it was according to your 2019 tax return, which has its own problems, obviously, when you're trying to help people who have lost income um, because of the pandemic. But do you like the idea that, that, that they used, which was if you make more than 75K, if you make 80K or 85K, then you get closer to the total amount, but less than. And if you make 99,000, then you get, you know, a, a small a small amount. And if you make 101,000, you get nothing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought that was a more equitable way to do it. I didn't get any of that. And I won't get any of this because my income was too much. But um, and I, that's fair. I, I don't think that I need it. There are people, there are businesses that have been going under, you know, for the last year and, and closed their doors. I mean, and there are people who are employees of those businesses who aren't working and who need it. Right. So I guess that those are the leads, folks that should get it. Right. That leads to my next sort of question or, or whatever. But, but which if is, you gave everybody, if you gave everybody in the country um, two thousand dollars, that's not going to amount to what this bill is costing, because this bill has a ton of what they call pork laden in it. It's it, that's I think that's the smallest part of it. The, the, the money they're giving to uh, yes, it the, is. the Americans. And, and also, there's, if you take in the There's a lot of money going to other countries and money going for, you know, different programs throughout the country that are really not part of, uh, not not due to the pandemic. And, and I don't think... This is what Congress does all the time. They mix apples and oranges. If you're dealing with trying to repair the injuries from the pandemic, then deal with that. Right. I mean, the tax... Yeah, so the... You know, the last um, big stimulus bill that was passed in uh, whenever it was in the spring of last year uh, had a, like most of that money went to, you know, tax breaks for corporations, stimulus funding for, you know, the airlines and a bunch of other companies that were, you know, that 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 money didn't necessarily like make its way down to helping the most vulnerable people in the country. So to your point, the, the, the amount of money that ends up being, you know, given to directly to people who most need it is a fraction of what is being spent overall by Congress on these stimulus bills. Correct. Um, Correct. And when it comes to the, like who gets or doesn't get these checks, this is the, the point I was making earlier, which is something David Sirota has pointed out in, in the last few weeks with his reporting, which is that the Democrats in particular are hyper-obsessed with what what is called means testing, right? Which is like deciding who does and doesn't qualify for some sort of you know, big government program meant to sort of help, help people who most need it. Um, and he points out the fact that, by and large, the most popular programs like this uh, th that the Democrats have ever passed are not means tested. And those are Social Security and Medicare, right? Those are universal mm -hmm. prog programs that anyone can access and anyone can get. It doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or Russ Finkelstein, you're able to get when you turn whatever it is, 65, Social Security and Medicare, um, and it, and it, and you don't have to parse out who is or isn't in need of those programs. The point is, there are 
thousands and thousands of people on lines to get food from these food banks all over the country. We've see, all seen the photographs of it. Those are the people who need it. I mean, give it to them. Uh, student loans are overwhelming a lot of people, and you know they probably are needy too. And and people who are in, in fear or threat of losing their their homes because of you know mortgage payments they can't make. Uh, that, that also. I mean, there's ways to to figure this out. This isn't complex rocket science. You know, they uh, the, the federal government has everybody's income tax return that can determine all of but this. But that, see, that's the part of the problem is is just that it's the income tax return, right? Because, for example, I've been receiving these stimulus checks. I make at my at my job that pays me money, not this podcast. I make more than the maximum amount that would qualify me to get those stimulus checks. The problem is, or I guess in my case it's not a problem, but the reason why I get those stimulus checks is because in 2019 I was unemployed for more than half the year. So according to my last um, tax return, I made less than $75,000 a year, which means I've been getting these stimulus checks. A very good friend of mine uh, who had been making more than the maximum amount allowed uh, that, that allows you to receive any stimulus, lost his job because of the pandemic. He worked at a, at a bar and nightclub, and they closed their doors. He's been out of work since whenever, April, March or April, and did not get any of the stimulus because his tax return from 2019 shows good income. So the, you know what I'm saying? Like if what you're doing is trying to help people who have lost their job in the pandemic, the tax return is a pretty shitty way to do it. Um, yeah, but they also have, they also know who's getting unemployment. They also should know all of this. this fine. Is not- uh, yeah. I, I think that, th- that that should also be considered. And in fact, uh, AOC tweeted about this last night and said the pandemic hit in 2020. We should not use 2019 income tax to determine relief eligibility. I agree with her. I think that's ridiculous. Going back to my point about means testing, this is why, like, the other thing is time is of the essence, right? So if what you're going to do is have offices full of people um, sifting through proof of income and trying to figure out who gets or doesn't get what amount and the amount gets phased out, so then there's... You have to make a distinction between someone who made $80,000 and $85,000. And do you, do you include passive income? Do you include their investments, right? There's, there's all these technical uh, spe- specifications you're going to need to take into account, and that's going to involve manpower. Isn't it maybe just the most effective thing just to give everyone a check? The same way that everyone, when they turn 65, gets um, Social Security. You don't need to be under a certain income level to get your social security when you turn 65 everyone gets it and 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 that's everyone, why everyone everyone pays into it everyone uh, pays into it who works through their you know? work through their work lifetime exactly sure. so it's not the government's money it's their money but, but like by the same token people who work or whatever like everyone uh who's in the system at a certain point is going to pay for or has paid for whatever that stimulus is you know? Uh, yeah. You know, I, I hate to tell you what the debt is, but... Um, it, I mean, it's, we can have... I think, I think it would be good at a, at a later date to have a conversation about the debt because I think a lot of 
the the difference between what you're seeing now out of the Biden administration in terms of being willing to be more ambitious than Obama was in the 2008 uh, financial crisis. Um, it seems to me that a lot of the philosophy behind this new stance, uh, and you hear people say things like, you know, the big problem, like the, the real risk is not giving enough stimulus, it's not giving too much. A lot of that thinking comes from, um, you know, more modern economic theory that says that deficit spending isn't as tied to inflation as had been previously thought. So I think that's probably like a topic for another day. But um, in general, what do you think about what I'm saying, which is politically speaking, these checks are incredibly popular, right? Like put giving someone a, a, a check and sending it to them and allowing them to put it into their bank account and cash it obviously that's going to be like a popular policy. Um, and you can say that that's part of the mandate that the uh, majority, the Democratic majority in the Senate now has. So why would they bend over backwards to think about things like means testing when they've already agreed that they don't need the Republicans to sign on to this? Oh, I can't put on a Democratic hat. I'm not a Democrat. I mean, I think means testing is important. I don't think I deserve a check. I don't need a check. There are people who do. Give it to them. But do you um, see my point? The, the cost of trying to splice it. I see a point. I see a point. It. It's not, no, Russ, we're in the age of computers. Come on. This isn't going to take uh, thousands of people, thousands of so hours how do you to do figure it? out. What's the metric? What's the metric by which you determine who has or Well, we know what the poverty level is, don't we? So you come up with a number like 75,000. If you make more than that, you don't get it. How do you if determine you less... who's made more than that if the last time they filed their taxes was for the 20 their income in 2019? This is this is really the the pragmatic problem for a bureaucracy like the federal government. It, you use the 2019 tax return. That's all you can do. But that does, that's not going to help the you people. You don't have who, a 2020. We don't have a 2020 tax return yet. Right. And this is my point. If, you, if you're going to go off of the 2019 tax return, then what you have is me getting all of the stimulus checks because in 2019 I was unemployed. And people like my friends who work in bars and restaurants who have been out of work since... March or April, not getting any of the stimulus. I understand that, and there's going to be some inequities into it, like there is with everything in life. Um, but there, there must be a way, you know, if you, if you sit down in a room with three brilliant guys and you put, you know, you put your thinking hats on, you come up with something other than uh, income tax returns. There are, you know, there are people in the government that this is what they do. They should be able to figure out who are, who are the people who need. Yeah, I just think that it's like if you're thinking um, pragmatically, uh, we were already we've already sort of agreed that the amount of money in these in these uh, emergency relief bills has been by and large for things other than putting money in the hands of people who most need it, right? So we're talking yes, about and that's like the a biggest. Small... Those are the biggest costs, Russ. Those are the biggest costs, and they shouldn't be there. They have no business being there. Okay, uh, f f fair. What we're talking about is a relatively small amount of money, which would be the difference between trying to parse out like 
this per you know Russ gets a check his friends who work in bars don't get checks it seems like there's a it's a relatively small amount of money to just give everyone a check and a not have this problem and b which is why which is the part that I don't fully understand ride the political boost you get from that you know Roosevelt had like the legacy of Roosevelt for the Democrats was he passed these humongous uh, universal programs, like for example, Medicare, uh, or rather Social Security, and the Democrats held, like, uh, for the most part, with with a few exceptions here and there, a majority in Congress for like decades after that. You know, um, that was well, also. So you're just saying politically, doesn't it make sense for the Democrats to do that? Probably, yeah. It's like a chicken in every pot. Give everybody money, you buy their votes. It's That's incredibly the popular. Yeah, no, notoriously done. Yeah, I mean That's Donald Trump. Democrats Donald Trump. Do. Remember when Donald Trump wanted to put his name on all the checks? You know, like there's a reason why uh, that he didn't that want to put his name. He did put his name, and and because yeah, he took a trick out of the, the Democratic playbook. Why would he not? You know what I mean? Like I, I guess that's my point. It's like you're a politician. Um, you're put there by the people to do things that the people are going to like. You have there's no goalie in front of the goal. You have an open net and you got the ball on your foot. Just put it in the goal is what I'm saying. Like you ran on this. You ran on giving people the checks. Why are you fucking around? Like, why are you fucking well, okay, around? Okay, so we're them? talking apples and oranges here. You're talking what's politically wise. I'm talking about both. I'm talking about both. Uh, well, okay. If, if they right. believe everyone should have a check, which is more or less what they say they believe or what they ran on, now they have the opportunity to do it. And they're, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're second guessing themselves and having this internal conversation about whether or not it's the responsible thing to do and how we, maybe we need to lower the threshold of the income amount. I'm telling you, people who, people who make $80,000 or $90,000 or $100,000, those people need that money. Whether whether they need it as bad as someone who's making thirty or forty thousand dollars or zero dollars, of course, the less you make, the more you need it. But everyone's going to be able to put that money to use right now, you know. But don't you understand? In the big scheme of things, if less people get it, there can be more for the for, for the lesser. In other words, instead of giving fourteen hundred dollars to everybody, give two thousand dollars to the needy, and don't give anything to guys like me who don't need it what's your what what is how do you determine that i don't know russ but there's formulas there's ways you want to get into the weeds here and discuss you know how complex it's going to be i don't know there are ways they will be able to figure this out they have computers look at obamacare for example right like obamacare was proposed as a solution to the the problem of so many people in this country not having health care Right. And it was it was a sort of way to do something besides Medicare for all, which has been floated by Democrats for years. And a lot of people uh, who who like and celebrated uh, Obamacare saw it as an achievement in that, you know, it didn't kill the private health care industry. But listen to what people say about Obamacare. It's like a nightmare to navigate. Uh, it's it's it's, you know, a pain in the ass to sign up for. It's unclear exactly, like, if you live in which state, like, what sorts of 
what real benefits you get from it or if you're actually maybe paying more money because your out of pocket expenses are going to be so I think high. the only good I think the only good thing that came out of Obamacare was that the insurance companies could no longer say you have a pre-existing injury and we're not going to cover that. I think that's the only good part of it. Right. I think everything else you know was absurd. People need insurance. People always have the ability to get insurance. I guess, um, yeah, it, I mean, I guess... Was it more expensive than it should have been? Yeah. And, and that means that a lot of people can't have a monopoly. use it. And now you have people... It, it's because it was more expensive than some people are able to afford, you know, even, yeah. even yeah. with Obamacare. And, and they have these tremendous deductibles that and make they have it... These tremendous okay, so, deductibles. So, you, so you can pay for it, but now you can't get any benefits. Exactly. So my point is the means testing... Uh, look, here's my point. The Republicans ran arguably in in 2016 one of the mandates was to kill obamacare and that was something they really tried to do and john mccain famously uh blocked them with his with his thumbs down if we all remember that moment um the reason why being i think because once you have a program that a lot of people depend on or you know need even if, uh, faulty as it may be it's then very hard to take it away same with medicare same with social security right like these are programs that are tremendously popular it always becomes a politically divisive issue in elections when um democrats point the finger at republicans and say they're gonna take away your social security or uh the republicans say that the, the democrats are gonna uh they're going to kill Medicare or whatever, right? Um, so it's, yeah, it because seems it to me left like alone, these... it's going to it's going to collapse on its own. There's not enough money to cover, so they, the the Republicans want to try and fix it, but the Democrats, you know, accuse them of trying to take away or push Grandma over the cliff. I mean, it's you know, it's the same old crap. Right. I'm just saying, like, the reason why that's such a hot button issue is because everyone benefits from it, and those programs are universally. Uh, liked, you know what I mean? Like those are incredibly popular, even whatever, 80 years or 100 years after uh, Roosevelt and LBJ put them put them in place. So I have a hard time sort of understanding why the Democrats in particular, who are supposed to be in favor of these big, robust social safety net programs are so obsessed with the means testing. But, you know, that's, that's who they are, I guess. They're politicians. They're politicians, you know, and and, and I, that's a sad thing. I mean, when a politician gets elected, he's supposed to do now do what's what's best for the the people he represents, and unfortunately, what they end up doing is spending the next two years, four years, whatever the term is, six years, trying to get reelected, you know, and trying to do whatever they have to to get reelected. I uh, just think what we've seen, what we've seen materialize over the last. I don't know, I guess since Obama, the Republicans seem the most willing to sort of play hardball and really use the power that's available to them to get what they want. You, 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 know? you think? You think? I mean, here we are in the middle of all of this crisis and we have the Democrats uh, spending how much time and energy um, going after uh, an ex-president and trying to impeach him. Well, I, I think they're very tepidly doing that, and their feelings are mixed about it. I think they feel like they have to do it because they can't let him get off the hook. Uh, but at the same time, you do hear these like sort of back-channel conversations about whether or not it's politically advantageous because it's distracting from the legislative agenda, you know. But I guess my point is, is like, you know, 
you, Mitch McConnell really went to great lengths uh, to prevent um, Obama from getting a Supreme Court nominee seated. And then eight day and said part of his argument was, well, it's close to an election. We shouldn't let, you know, this this nominee go forward until after the, pre the next presidential election has been decided. And then eight days before a presidential okay, election jammed so, through Supreme Court justice. I'm, j I'm almost saying, like, there's something admirable about that. There's something about that that tells me. They're all, they're all playing hardball. They're all shits. And the problem is they're not doing anything to try. I mean, here, Joe Biden spends 80% of his uh, inaugural speech talking about, talking about working together. And we're going to all bring this country back together. And... And what has he done? He's he's eliminated everything that Trump did uh, by executive order. I mean, it's it, it's absurd. There there's such vitriol on both sides that nobody wants to extend an olive branch. What do you? That's make? what's needed. That's unfortunately what's needed. Somebody so, has to. So what know, do be you a, make of, an adult in the room? What do you make of the standoff in Congress? Um, let's say, for example, like in the House of Representatives where you have this discussion about what to do about Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and Liz Cheney, right? Like famously, whatever it was, 61 Republicans voted to remove Liz Cheney from House leadership because of her vote to impeach Donald Trump. And 11, Dem 11 Republicans, I think, voted to remove Marjorie Taylor Greene from her committee assignments for all of the crazy shit she said. What, what do you think should be done about that? Because I, I, it was on this podcast a few weeks ago, I think, where you said Donald Trump has been thrown to the dustbin of history. He's gone. He's never coming back. There's no need to like worry about him anymore. But you got Kevin McCarthy flying down to Mar-a-Lago to sort of kiss his ring and you know make nice of him. And obviously the Republican Party in a large way is still beholden to him, which is why you have this... Stand Nobody off. is beholden. No, you see, here's where you're wrong. Nobody's beholden to him. Mm -hmm. What they're trying to avoid is losing all of those votes. Right. There are there are a lot of people voted for Trump, and so they're trying to. The Republican Party has got this dilemma internally on how do we hold on to um, our, the political base that Trump has established um, w without, um, you know. Uh, looking like we're jerks like Trump. Um, that's something they're, they're grappling with, and that's what's going on. And it has nothing to do with Trump. Uh, I don't think anybody in the Republican... I think they'd all be very happy if Trump never was heard from again. Um, but it's a, it's a struggle to try and uh, maintain that political base. Right, and so and I guess... And I'm not talking about the thousand or so idiots who went into the you know to the Capitol building. I'm not talking about the white supremacists out there. I'm not talking about oh that base. I'm talking about the the crux of the base. Right, but if you have seventy five million people voted for Trump, we're not all racists and white supremacists and you know the like. Right, but if you have thirty or forty percent of the country who thinks that the election was stolen and that. You know, Joe Biden is not the duly elected uh, president. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that number. Number one, number two. Don't forget, guys like Trump and his ilk were pounding the the people with that 
over his Twitter account, which he no longer has. So uh, people started to believe him. Of course they did. But look, this is what we're. This is what I'm saying. It's like. But You're this does saying, not make these. This does not make these people morons. It just means they were they were believing what they were being told by the president. Of course, I agree with you. I think some of them probably are morons, but I would agree. Some of them are morons, and I I don't have any problem saying that. Sure, but I guess um, my point is we're talking about like, what like why, so. You know, you're saying Joe Biden didn't take like a conciliatory stance with all of the executive's orders. Now they're going to pass the COVID relief bill um, through reconciliation, which means they don't necessarily need any Republicans to sign on to it, which you could interpret to mean they also are sort of throwing bipartisanship into the garbage. But I guess my point is, is like, how do you do business with people in good faith when you have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene um, who get... Because you also have, on the other side, people like AOC and, you know, people who make outrageous statements like, uh, what's her name, uh, the, the lady from L.A., um, who was who uh, saying... They, uh, that all the people should get in the face of every everybody affiliated with Trump when he was in the White House is is you know attack them in the in the restaurants if you oh, see Ma- them in gas Maxine, stations. Maxine Waters. Maxine Brown. Yeah. Maxine Waters. So you have Waters. Maxine Waters. You have it on both sides. There are right. lunatics Th- on both sides. Deb, I'm sorry, but there is a world of difference between saying if you see Republican Congress people in a restaurant, you should get in their face and yell at them, and saying that. The election was stolen. That QAnon has been a source of patriotic uh, values, and that the Jews control a giant space laser that started a wildfire in California, and that Sandy Hook was a hoax. I mean, there is a world of difference. She, you know, by the way, she more or less said she was sorry. I think she felt sorry for how big of a pain in the ass this has become for her. But she certainly didn't say she was sorry for saying that the election was stolen. Um, and that, in and of itself, to me, is like a, a big problem with trying to do good faith uh, bipartisanship stuff in Congress. You can't get a giant chunk of Congress to acknowledge that the election was legitimate. What do you mean you can't get a giant chunk? I, I think 99% There's of Congress. However many of them, whatever it was, 60 or 70 or 130 members of the House and 10 senators said they, they voted to not certify the results of the election. Yeah, that was... Uh, that's and to not your point, I think they're was, doing it. Was it. Because, it was because Trump was still going through the process of trying to take it through the courts and what have you. That was still going on. You ask them now, and you're not going to find that. Uh, I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this impeachment vote, you know? There were several well, Republicans uh, that voted in favor of impeachment. Maybe that is. Yeah, a... there's gonna be there's gonna be out of a, out of a uh, hundred senators, you're gonna find some that are gonna say, yeah, he should be impeached. But the point is, I, I agree that they don't have the right to do this. There's not even a Supreme Court justice sitting on in overseeing this trial. So, so what? But, the, but Dad, the the precedent there would be then that. Basically, during the last month of any president's term in office, the lame, their lame duck uh, t- 
time as president is a, is a blank check to do whatever the fuck they want. You can't really let something no, that... No, it, no, it's not, because there's other ways to deal with it. Like what? What do you mean, like what? Like what, if, what should happen to... The, do you if think... The, if the president is acting... Wait, if the president is not acting not in the best interest, the vice president or his cabinet can... Get him removed under you know that article in the Constitution. So should anything anything bad happen to Trump in the fallout of the Capitol riot, or should he be? Did anything bad? Should Did anything any, bad? Should anything any any consequence come to him? In your opinion, I told you last, and, and, yeah. and not the last, not the last podcast, but mm -hmm. one of the podcasts, yeah. recent ones. He is going to be, and he is, on the shit heap of history. But, but for isn't that, that to consequence, be... Isn't that consequence enough? Well, I guess it he depends... He brought this on himself. He but brought that, this on himself. Yeah. The, in, in a practical sense, um, You're that... not going to convict him in a trial, even with, a, with an impartial jury and judge. You're not going to convict him of inciting a riot. He didn't. Okay, but... I guess my, like, what I think is it's easy to sort of go down the rabbit hole of, like, all the crazy shit that Marjorie Taylor Greene has said and all the crazy shit that Josh Hawley has said and Ted Cruz. But to me, what seems to be the sort of problem that I think we both agree on is Joe Biden won the election. Um, just like any system that's run by human beings, there's going to be errors and hell, maybe there's even some wrongdoing here and there, but nothing significant enough to overturn the results of the election. That was thoroughly litigated. There was investigations. There was court cases. And who is sitting in the White House? Joe Biden's sitting in the White House. But what okay. I'm saying is, what I'm saying okay. is, hang so on, the, so hang the on. point you is, have, Russ, yeah. the system worked. The system the worked. The system, the clearly, like, in a very real way, like, in, in, in a very... Um, cold-hearted way, you can say that the system worked because Joe Biden is the president. 30 to 40 percent of the country uh, believes that Donald Trump won and that the election was stolen, which is why all of these people in Congress are still beholden to, the, to that demographic of people who believe something that's just complete nonsense. The reason being the president and a bunch of people that follow him peddled it despite how wrong and untrue it was, and they, and they continue to do so. So Listen, what is if, I remember, if I remember correctly, um, there's a guy named Al Gore uh -huh. um, who, who went to the Supreme Court on an election because of the hanging chad in Florida. Yeah. And, and Al Gore said the election was stolen. Yeah. And a lot of people believed that long after um, Bush was in the White House. I mean, there's a great documentary. That right? Am I right? Uh, you're right in a, you're, you're right to a certain degree. You're right in that they took it to the Supreme Court, and there's a great documentary about this that just came out. Uh, I forget what it's called, but it's all about. A lot the, of people felt that. A lot of people me, felt that election yeah, was let me stolen. My point. The yeah, point, yeah, I know. I, your I point. think there is a case to be made that the that the Republicans, with the help of fucking what's his name, uh, uh, the Trump, the Trump uh, guy, Roger Stone. Um, and a bunch of other sort of super, like, aggressive and wing-nutty Republican people helped to stop the recount in Miami, uh, which, which led to the Supreme Court ruling that, in fact, George W. Bush won the election. And what did Al Gore do? When, as he presided over the Senate, he certified that 
George W. Bush was the president. He went to the inauguration. You know what I mean? Like they 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 acknowledge. So he's not a, so he's not as big of an, a baby as as Trump. Okay, but the bottom line is, four years ago, mm-hmm. the election was was won by Trump. Yeah, I, th- I believe the lady's name. I forget. I think it was Hillary Clinton. I could mm-hmm. be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she cried for quite a while that it was stolen, that the Russians helped him, and that it was whole. This whole Russian thing happened uh, to help him get elected. And if it wasn't for that, she'd be in the White House. I, I think I remember something like that. Yeah, and I- for four years or three years during his term. There was a whole cabal out to get his ass and, and you know, overturn that election to the yeah. point that they went and impeached him. Well, I think the, the impeachment was over. Over nothing. Over impeach- nothing. The because, Ukraine stuff? Because, you think the Ukraine stuff was nothing? Was, it was over nothing because there was no Russian collusion. You had a whole massive investigation. Hang on. What are we talking um, about? Are we talking about the Ukraine, the, what he was actually impeached over, which was... Uh, his med- the meddling in the Ukraine, right? That's separate and apart from the Russia investigation, which, uh, you know, the Mueller report showed that there were potential instances of collusion. None of that was fully articulated in the Mueller report. And uh, to your point, a lot of the basis of that investigation were these really sketchy FISA warrants that, you know... All, they're really sketchy. All I'm saying, Russ, is... This isn't the first guy, and this isn't the first time mm-hmm. that somebody has accused the other person of stealing the election. And I'm sure, it, and and this is only in my in my lifetime. I don't know what happened in the 17 and 1800s, but I'm sure there were those elections. I mean, one went into the Senate to decide, right? Yeah. So, so the 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 point is, this is always going to happen. Okay. Um, we're dealing with human beings. Human beings are, are you know, just, we're not perfect. So, well, yes, this- things happen. Did Trump go overboard? Yes. And that's why he's finished. He's so should Republicans, be- I guess, like as a, as a Republican, do you think that it's important for Liz Cheney to have kept her seat in, in House leadership and not be punished for the impeachment vote? Would you like to see the Republicans vote in favor of... I don't Trump think anybody should be. I don't think help to rectify. Russ, Russ, I don't think anybody should be punished for a vote. I'm sorry. I still think this is the United States. Mm-hmm. I think Liz Cheney has the right to vote any way she seems fit. Okay, and what about Marjorie Taylor Greene? Do you think it was wrong that they voted to remove her from her? Um, I, I think it's wrong that the other side did it. I a think bunch of Republicans. Republicans should, a bunch of Republicans voted for it to remove her as well. I think the Republicans should have done it. They didn't. And that should have been the end of it. Okay. Well, you know, there's ways to censure people. Um, I remember Adam Clayton Powell got censured um, when he was a, a congressman from New York uh, for, for conduct. You know, I think he was stealing money or whatever. Um, that happens. They do that. They have the ability to do that. Um, you know, but okay. So now she's not going to be on the committee. So what? Right. She also raised a whole shitload of money. Um, yes, and she got and she got and she got all this publicity and notoriety. You know. Right. I mean, which she doesn't deserve. She doesn't. You know, it's just wrong. Well, I think this is actually a very good segue into uh, the next uh, subject here, which is um, 
I, you know, on the micro, it's about this show's uh, struggle to grow its listenership by buying advertisements on Facebook. And as if you follow me on Twitter or Facebook, you might have seen me bitching about this. I, you know, I happen to be the type of person that can engage in sort of endless arguments with uh, people I went to high school with on Facebook. Um, a lot of people ask me, like, why I spend all this time doing that. You know, Dad, I'll fight with you, like, in, in like, Aaron Levine's comment section on Facebook or something. And a lot of people will be like, why are you doing this? Like, you're never going to convince your dad or you're never going to convince this other right-wing person to see it your way. And I'm, I'm always like, look, it's not entirely for that person who I'm sparring with. That's not the reason why I'm having spending this time having these conversations. It's actually because a lot of other people on Facebook in particular will message me and say, hey, I read your argument with so-and-so and I actually like really appreciated your input and you know, thanks for making these arguments because it helped me to think about this thing in a different way. All this to say, uh, I think Facebook in particular might be like a good platform for this show to, to expand its audience. And so I've tried for months now to buy ads to boost um, posts from the, the show's uh, Facebook group. And for the most part, those ads get rejected. So I will read you the copy of the last one I tried, which was the episode we did on the um, Hunts Point produce market strike. The, the post said, new episode on the Teamsters strike at Hunts Point produce market in the Bronx. We talk about the role of AOC and the Democratic Socialists of America. Uh, we talk about the role they played in getting the union a better contract. Russ went to the picket line to speak with Teamsters, local 202 president Danny Kane, as well as union rank and file. We also get Norm's take on Joe Biden's inaugural and the media's coverage of it. Have a listen and tell your friends. And when I tried to boost the ad for $10, I got a message that said, we require people to confirm their identity and create a disclaimer to run ads about social issues, elections, or politics. Your ad may have been rejected if it mentions politicians or sensitive social issues that could influence pe uh, public opinion, uh, how people vote, and may impact the outcome of an election. And then there's a process by which you can appeal that decision, which I did, and then later also got back like a form response saying, your appeal was denied. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're talking about misinformation and people believing things that aren't true um, and, and the way that social media companies should be regulated or not regulated or, you know, who gets censored, who doesn't get censored. I think sometimes we overlook the small, you know, the little guy, people like us, you know, just a little little podcast here trying to, have a, a journalism project and you know apparent like my thinking is we're just snagged in the algorithm here there's no human being to interface with to remedy this problem well, let me interrupt you a second russ you mm -hmm. said something about their their first denial where they said uh, a disclaimer we could do a disclaimer why don't we do that yeah i mean i i've tried to reword the the wording of the ad and uh I, I, like i'm not entirely sure i like spend a good amount of time reading um how to how to write an ad to get through this issue on the facebook's like blog 
and I, you know, I've tried more or less to do what they're saying, and it still hasn't gotten through. And I think that like this is an interesting dilemma because what going back to our previous point, the company that has been named by Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and you know Sidney Powell, uh, who was Donald Trump's lawyer during a lot of the um, elections litigation, uh, is suing for two point seven billion dollars. They're suing Fox News. Lou Dobbs, Maria Bartiromo, and uh, Janine Pirro, Rudy Giuliani, and Sidney Powell are all named as co-defendants. And Lou Dobbs got fired over it. Lou Dobbs got fired over it. Um, And there's been a series of sort of hilarious uh, media moments um, that that we're gonna look at now, but what do you think in general about this dilemma? I mean, I think it goes to the point we had made, I guess, a couple episodes ago about there needing to be regulation. Because I guess what pisses me off most about this is that there's no like customer service representative I can call at Facebook. There's no email address I can email and say, "Hey, listen." And this is, you know, what I what I put on Twitter was like, the New York Times or the or the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal, any of these uh, journalism platforms can buy ads to boost their content on Facebook. We should be able to do that also. We're doing journalism, you know, and and I think it's a it's 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 just bad in general that there's like a homogenizing of the media landscape, and it, this is what happens when you try to weed out you know, smaller outlets. And, and they would say, well, you know, there's all this disinformation. We have to have some way to sort of like make sure that content being posted isn't fake news or but isn't... That's not, but that's not their job. They're, they're, they got immunities from Congress specifically when they started out these, these platforms um, because they said, we're not publishers. We're not going to... Um, you know, vet everything. We're just gonna, everything's going to be open. Everybody can say what they want. Now they're starting to um, try, you know, and get in there and stop things from being said that that's contrary to what they believe is right. Well, you know, they're biased, right? So they don't have the right to do that. I mean, it's they need, and they're, I understand the argument. They're a private company. They should be able to do anything they want, but. They are so big now um, that they're the only ones. There's no other outlook like this that you can go to, outlet, I should say, that you can go to to compete with it. Um, And so they need to be regulated. They need to be um, regulations in place to prevent them from just putting on stuff that they approve of. Right, and there needs to be some some transparent process by which these issues get adjudicated because look i will say this my fr- a friend of mine two now at this point it's happened twice uh my friend nando who has like whatever 30,000 followers on twitter he hosts a bunch of leftist podcasts he tweeted out the link to this episode to the episode of uh that we did ab- about the teamster strike and in the past, if he retweets something I say, I get a bunch of engagement from it. He gets a bunch of um, retweets and then a bunch of people who don't follow me, who I don't know, will like the post and engage with it, right? This time, he retweeted the tweet of the, with the link to the podcast, 
not a single person that ended up liking it was someone who didn't already follow me. And no one of the, as a result of his retweet retweeted it. And I know I sound like a paranoid lunatic with like a tinfoil hat or something, <laughs> like saying that. But I do think that it's possible that the algorithm is like deprioritizing and de push like not pushing out our content in part because we're a small media outlet and they are worried that doing so might perpetuate fake news. I heard this. There's this podcast that I may or may not listen to called Come Town. And they had on a guy uh, who's he he pub, he's like the publisher of this small, like communist and socialist book imprint, and he has a YouTube channel, which is the way that he funnels a lot of people to buy the books that they sell. And they did a clip on YouTube where they played, like they, they, it was they were talking about the this conspiracy theory called the Great Reset, um, and they played a clip from Alex Jones of Infowars, like. In the in the show, and then they reacted to it and they made fun of it and whatever you know it wasn't they weren't promoting what Alex Jones was saying they were using it the way that sometimes we use news clips um, to sort of then analyze it and because the Alex Jones clip had been in their video YouTube's algorithm found it and basically like put them on some sort of shit list and their views <laughs> all their you know these guys have been doing this YouTube channel for years he knows more or less how many people watch each of his videos and since that happened and they got this warning and uh, and blocked that particular video from being um, posted after that his viewership went way down and now he's sort of floundering around struggling to to get it back to where it had been because the algorithm clearly had been informed by this incident that yeah. I, he did and nothing this is the wrong. problem this is the problem they have so much power to hurt small you know ventures small businesses individuals whatever um whose views just somehow differ than theirs uh it's just it's just wrong um you know if there were 20 different facebooks out there that you know were at equal uh, viewership well then it wouldn't matter but it does because they're the only ones it's like twitter they're the only ones um and like i said in an earlier podcast it's like the gas and electric company um they're highly regulated why because people need that service they're the only ones providing it and it's the same thing uh with cable tv and and, and now with the internet with with uh, platforms like these they need to be regulated so to cl so to close out the show i think we should listen to a couple of other instances of people who are standing up uh, to censorship. Uh, comrade Mike Lindell, who's the CEO of MyPillow.com. Comrade? Which, <laughs> Did you say comrade? Yeah, saying like he's on the same, uh, he's on the same side of the issue. He's on the same side of the issue as us, therefore our comrade. <laughs> okay. You object to be... being called a comrade? Well, it's a communist thing. I, yes, I object to being called, and I'm sure Mike Lindell would object as well. But go ahead, go ahead. Fellow patriot and free and free speech advocate Mike Lindell, who's the CEO of My Pillow, and uh, and renowned Donald Trump whisperer, um, got called to be on Newsmax because his Twitter account was deactivated, um, and so Newsmax, uh, who you know, it's a right wing news channel that also has has uh, found itself uh you know criticized for perpetuating the the big lie about um elections fraud 
had Mike Lindell on to talk about his Twitter account being deactivated and cancel culture. So let's let's have a listen to this clip. What happened with your Twitter account and the uh, company page? Well, first, mine was taken down because we have all the election fraud with these Dominion machines. We have 100 percent proof. And then I when they took it down um, uh, about Mike, three weeks Mike, ago, I, and then when I put it back up, my personal, I put it, it was a Mike, uh, thank opinion. you very much. Mike, Mike, I, you're talking about machines uh, that, that we at Newsmax have not been able to verify any of uh, those kinds of allegations. We just want to let people know that there's nothing substantive that we've seen. And let me read you something there. While there were some clear evidence of some cases of fraud and election irregularities. The election results in every state were certified, and Newsmax accepts the results as legal and final. The courts have also supported that view. So we wanted to talk to you about canceling culture, if you will. We don't want to relitigate the, the, the uh, allegations that you're making, Mike, because we, we, we understand where you are. So let me ask you this. Do you think that this should be temporary because it appears to be permanent? Could you make an argument that it is temporary? What? <laughs> could you make an argument that this could be a temporary banning rather than permanent? No, I want it to be a permanent because you know what? They did this because I'm revealing all the evidence on Friday of all the election fraud with these machines. So I'm sorry if you okay. think it's not uh, Mike, real. I, I, can I ask our producers, can we uh, get out of here, please? Uh, I, I don't want to have to keep going over this. Actually, we at Newsmax Mike, have not been able wait, to verify any of those allegations. Wait, that you're, you're, Mike, oh, hold on a second. Everybody hold on a second. Mike, Mike, hold on one second. So at that point, the anchor gets up and walks out of, walks out of the studio because, you know, he, he's trying to push back on Mike Lindell just sort of continuing to perpetuate this lie that the election was stolen, that these voter machines... Um, were were rigged somehow and that the and and obviously newsmax has sort of changed its tune on this whole thing because of this lawsuit right um, <laughs> right so i guess you know our fellow patriot mike lindell standing up for free speech is met with this sort of censorship um yeah I, it's kind of sad it's kind of sad that's troubling you know yeah, I mean that's a you know that company he it's a big business and and if they took down his account you know that's impacting his income. Yeah, I mean I'm 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 joking in case you can't tell like I, I can tell you're being sarcastic. I understand. But you know, as a um civil litigator yourself, I'm just curious what you think about this. It seems like um it seems like a a, a lawsuit, like a giant lawsuit is ultimately that's like the backstop here, right? Like you get caught perpetuating fake news, right? Like uh, they let they let me and you um, publish our conspiracy theories on Facebook and Facebook takes the money for the ads. Uh, it seems like the recourse that actually works to sort of rectify um, that issue is a lawsuit more than it is like federal regulation or government regulation. Yeah, but the, you can't sue Facebook. You can't sue Twitter. Right. You can sue Mike Lindell. You can sue us, but you can't sue the platform 
They're immune under government regulation that Congress passed. Right. I mean, in this case, Fox News is named as a defendant in this lawsuit. And really, ultimately, that's like, I don't know if you remember um, uh, Gawker, which was a media website that did a lot of sort of salacious reporting about, you know, a lot of it was gossip sort of stuff. And a lot of times they'd got, you know, scoops and leaks and stuff like that. And they ended up getting yeah, taken down in yeah, a lawsuit. Yeah, there's, there's, there's newspapers, rags they call them, uh, that they sell at uh, supermarkets. What's it, What's the one I'm thinking of, the main one? They always have the national, aliens. The National Enquirer. National Enquirer, yes. Right. I mean, and, and they're not, I mean, they get sued all the time, but they're not immune like like Facebook and Twitter are. It's almost a part of their um, business model. I mean, yeah, un- unfortunately, yeah. because I, was, I, I liked Gawker and I was a fan. Unfortunately, the, the lawsuit, uh, there was a lawsuit that ended up sort of taking them down because they there's this huge judgment against them and that was the end of that. But um, I don't know. It's, this is it, it, this lawsuit in particular seems to be what's able to change the way that Newsmax covers this story more than any evidence or the courts or you know when I mean courts I mean like. The courts ruling on elections fraud, right? Like ultimately, they were silenced or stopped perpetuating the lie that the election that the election was stolen um, because of this lawsuit. I have another clip here from your friend Rudy Giuliani. So this is Rudy Giuliani, who hosts a weekly show on WABC, um, and I think WABC ended up putting up a disclaimer for much the same reason that. Um, Newsmax had that disclaimer that they had the anchor read to Mike Lindell um, for the same reason out of fear of a lawsuit, especially because Giuliani mm-hmm. himself is named as a co-defendant. Um, before Giuliani's program aired, this was the disclaimer that, that listeners heard on the air. The views, assumptions, and opinions expressed by former U.S. attorney, former attorney to the President of the United States, and New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani, his guests and callers on his program are strictly their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions, beliefs, or policies of WABC Radio, its owner, Red Apple Group, and other WABC hosts or our advertisers. We are New York, talking about what matters to you. Now, it's former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. I would have thought they would have told me about that before just doing what they just did. Eh, Rather insulting. And gives you a sense of how far this uh, free speech thing has gone. And how they frighten everybody. I mean, we're in America. We're not in... East Germany. They got. They got to warn you about me. I'm going to have to give that a lot of consideration. I also think putting it on without telling me. Not the right thing to do. Not the right thing to do at all. But I got to tell you another thing. My dedication to free speech outweighs, you know, a lot of other things I can do. So let's do let's go to Art Westchester. Hello. Hey Art, how you doing? I'm good. good. You got to be uh, warned I, Art Arthur. I want to warn you. You know, you're yeah. ta- talking to me, this doesn't express anybody else's viewpoint but mine. You kind of knew that anyway, didn't you? You didn't really be, needed to be reminded of that, did you? Well, you see, I'm actually a different listener to WABC. I I, I disagree with 
almost everything that you say. So I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Yeah, I good. just want to know. I just want to know a, a question. Do you ever feel somewhat guilty about spreading a lot of, you know, unproven conspiracy theories to folks who may not have the ability or the critical thinking skills to kind of look through it? I mean, do you, do you feel that maybe you're taking advantage of the gullible just and it's just an honest question i don't want okay, to i'm sure i'm sure it's an honest question i'm sure you believe that but why don't you try to uh listen to my point of view art from westchester coming in hot <laughs> art what do you make of the um, argument there that giuliani's laying out what do you what do you make of giuliani and and just i guess you know this issue like how, how? well you're asking me five questions at once so it's it's a compound well, go ahead. I'll try. Go ahead and un I'll try. I'll try peel, and peel, peel the onion. Peel I, I, the onion. Giuliani, as a, as a U.S. attorney, was fabulous. As mayor of New York, was incredible. Um, uh, recent years, he's sort of coming down in my mind in terms of um, his uh, mental prowess. I don't know why he bought into that whole thing, but he did, and he was certainly there in the forefront of the battle with the courts uh, on behalf of Trump. Um, so he knew what could be proved and what couldn't firsthand, I would think. Um, but such is life. Um, but going back to the free press issue, um, it, it's, yeah, everybody has a right to be heard. Everybody has a right to say what they want. But you can't go into a movie theater and scream fire. And you can't do certain things that would incite others um, to be violent. That's, there are limitations on free press. And that's, I think, what um, Facebook and Twitter are concerned about. I don't think... They have the right to be concerned because they can't be sued. So, you know, now they're saying, well, just out of, uh, you know, our, our concern for the public, we don't want we don't want people using our mm -hmm. platform to spread falsehoods and lies. And, well, there's falsehoods and there's lies. And then there's what you perceive to be falsehoods and lies. And because you folks happen to be biased one way, um, you're you're carrying this uh, way too far. And so we have to have regulations to limit your ability um, to preempt people from talking freely. Yes, you have the ability to stop people from shouting fire. And yes, you have the ability to stop people from inciting violence. But um, you shouldn't have the ability to d block anything you deem inappropriate. And that's what they're doing. They've gone beyond uh, limiting uh, speech to where it's just dangerous to where it's a, contrary to what they believe. So there has to be some government regulations imposed. Right. It's, I, I think it's an interesting case study in the difference between how this issue gets dealt with in regulated industries, like in, in traditional media environments like radio and television, right? Where you have like eventually this um, cable news network, Newsmax, or WABC before the Rudy Giuliani show, covering their own ass and being like, well, we don't want to get named now as co-defendants in this lawsuit by airing this misinformation that's libelous and, and makes false accusations that, um, you know, that uh, voting machines company is saying is, uh, has completely damaged their company. 
um, in the internet age and on social media in particular, it's you're right. They've developed this sort of loophole by which they can determine what does or doesn't go on their site, but they themselves can't be uh, targeted by um, the same sort of thing, right? Uh, yeah. As a journalism person, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um, I don't know the answer to this, so I'm asking you. Mm -hmm. When people write letters to the editor in newspapers, okay, yeah. are, are those things... Um, uh, are those things looked at to uh, determine if it's something they can publish? Yes. Like, I mean, I, I'm sure there's instances where perhaps that's not the case. If you're talking about like a small town city newspaper or something that's going to run a letter to the editor, but the papers of repute and even the smaller ones, if they're doing their diligence, wouldn't print a letter to the editor that includes uh, libel or slander. Because okay, because they can be sued for that. Yes. Okay. So okay, yeah, I I think that that's maybe a good example or model to look at, like how something like this would work if the Section Two Thirty protection was lifted, and the mm -hmm. social media companies were considered, um, you know, publishers. It would mean that. Facebook would allow us to advertise our podcast, and if we said something that was libelous or, or contained slander or threats of violence or something like that, then, then and, and Facebook continued to host that content, then Facebook could be named as a co-defendant in, in a lawsuit. Right. But how do we, so how do we use a regulation to make them put us on the air? Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, how that's that's how they'd be limited. They'd be limited in trying self-preservation from a lawsuit. But I think the idea now, is now that, they say they're doing it just for public service, right? Right. Yes. They, the the yeah, it's just the, the regu like part of the regulation, in my opinion, should include um, transparency when it comes to these sorts of decisions, and there should be a requirement that whatever decisions they make to block someone from their service or to deprioritize their content, that that decision be made transparently and that there be some sort of arbitration or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. And there should be human interaction, not just a computer, a logarithm. Right. Yeah, okay. I guess we solved I'm it. I'm in agreement. We did. We solved it. So let's go to Congress and take up a vote. I mean, look, I think what we do is we get on the phone to Rudy Giuliani, we ask Mike Lindell to help us pay him, and we start a, <laughs> we start a free speech class action lawsuit against Facebook. Yeah, now there's a, there's a thought. All right, comrade, I guess that's it. Been a pleasure, been a pleasure. For this, uh, yeah, for this episode of Finkelstein, Finkelstein. <laughs>